Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. And now if you'll please join me in the words for lighting the chalice there in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth. Now I'll invite you to take a deep breath. Settle into your chair and listen. As you listen to this tone, remember that the people beside you are hearing the same one. We may each hear it differently but we are bound together by our common straining to chase the last echoes of the sound as it fades into silence. Take a breath and listen. Welcome here to this special place. Welcome to this House of Hope. Here we find ways together to imagine a better world, envision what might yet be. Welcome to this House of Action. Here we find ways together to make dreams a reality, to build a brighter future. Welcome to this House of Forgiveness. Here we find ways together to apologize and move forward, embracing the imperfections of the human heart. Welcome to this house of compassion. Here we find ways together to care for those in pain and sorrow, to celebrate with those who rejoice. Welcome to this house of connection. Here we find ways together to partner on our journeys, to offer time and attention to each other. Welcome to this house of love. Here we find ways together to see and be seen, to know and be known. Here... Among these people, may you practice hope, action, forgiveness, compassion, connection, and love, never forgetting that you are part of the vastness of life, never forgetting that you are enough, never forgetting that you are beautiful. Welcome home to this place of belonging. Every Sunday, we also take time in our service to come together for intentional breathing, intentional reflection, and intentional silence. We do this in part because we know that there is value in holding together, side by side, in the quiet, the things of greatest importance in our lives. So this morning, I invite you to find a comfortable position for your body in your seat, to ground yourself, your feet on the floor, to take a deep breath in. Try to calm and still your body so that your mind might also be calm and still. Breathe deeply and slowly.
Focus on your breath as it moves in and out of your body. There's nothing for you to do in this moment but be here now. Breathing, existing, inhabiting your body, your life, side by side with your fellow humans, your companions. Breathe deeply and slowly. Focus on the inward breath and the outward release. In the silence, focus. Take a deep breath. It can be challenging for us to remember to just be, and sometimes even more challenging to remember to be gentle with ourselves and with each other. But we need to. Love, kindness, and gentleness help us connect to our deepest selves and to the deepest truths of others. Take a slow breath. So last week I stood up here and I spoke to you all about the value of being seen, the gift of love that we offer when we really embrace someone in their wholeness and the love that is called forth in us when we feel known in this world. What I touched on and what we'll expand today, though, is that it isn't always easy to reach out for that kind of seeing and knowing. There is a vulnerability in that work, in the work of creating real and deep connections. It takes a great deal of courage to put ourselves out there, to create meaningful relationships with others. It's always a risk, sometimes a risk to our literal bodies, sometimes to our hearts, sometimes to our souls, but always a risk, and always it requires courage, and always it's worth it. It's always worth it, it turns out, because connection is a deep and abiding human need that improves our quality of life, but also our health and longevity in general. In a recent piece for Medium, Brianna Wiest writes, you've probably heard this before in different ways. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. The foremost pillar of happiness is a sense of belonging and purpose. Cultures that are more communal are more mentally healthy as a whole. People who are alone often die earlier and get sicker before they do. We are a tribal species. There's no way around this, despite what many highly individualistic cultures may want us to believe. No person is an island unto themselves. We are born through connection, and it is through connection to others that we accomplish virtually everything else in life. We do not just prefer healthy relationships. We need them. We need them, she says. I imagine that resonates for most of us. And in a 2012 piece from Psychology Today, Emma Seppala writes, social connection strengthens our immune system, helps us recover from disease faster, and may even lengthen our life. People who feel more connected to others have lower rates of anxiety and depression. 
Studies show they have higher self-esteem, are more empathic to others, more trusting and cooperative, and as a consequence, others are more open to trusting and cooperating with them. Social connectedness therefore generates a positive feedback loop of social, emotional, and physical well-being. So there are actual physical, mental implications to our sense of connection or disconnection. It hurts our bodies, minds, and spirits. We fundamentally need deep connection for our well-being, and yet it's so hard. These observed benefits of connection and the corollary detriments of disconnection align nicely with that TED Talk by Sherry Turkle, a small part of which I read to you. Her talk asserts that we are living in a time of great disconnection, even as we seem connected in so many more ways. Turkle studies technological advancements in communication, attempting to uncover the ways in which those technologies impact human beings. She notes that we are in constant communication, but that the quality of that communication is lesser. The end result is that we humans are really alone together, as she puts it. We put ourselves at a level of remove from our own deepest selves and from each other through our use of this layer of technology. We remove ourselves from the most important things and moments by stepping back just that little bit with photos and meta-observations. She notes that we text at funerals. I led a memorial yesterday. People definitely text at memorials. I saw it happening. We Instagram and we post and we share everything, documenting it for the vast unseen masses that count among our friends, but always with one move, one step between what was real and what we display. You can end up hiding from each other, even as we're all constantly connected to each other, Turkle says. It's the quality piece. We're in constant communication, but it's cleaned, filtered, made perfect by sepia tones and Snapchat bunny ears. We can choose what to share, and when, and how, leaving out all the pieces that are complex and painful and messy. Turkle says, we get to edit, and that means we get to delete. And she goes on, human relationships are rich, and they're messy, and they're demanding, and we clean them up with technology. And when we do, one of the things that can happen is that we sacrifice conversation. We sacrifice conversation for some sort of light connection. It's important to keep that in mind, because connection is valuable, but it has to be connection that is honest and rich and messy. But that's scary, and that's vulnerable. Later in her talk, she explains that indeed our human vulnerabilities are part of what make technology so appealing. She says it appeals to us most where we are most vulnerable. She says we're lonely and we're afraid of intimacy. We turn to technology to help us feel connected in ways we can comfortably control, but we're not so comfortable, we're not so much in control. I think she's right about that. And it can be hard to face that very fundamental aspect of the human condition. We humans are not in control. We are not comfortable. Death, illness, heartbreak, these pains bring that truth home to us. These things are painful because we connect, because we love. And so it's easy to understand, then, why the risk sometimes feels too big and why technology with its sanitized connections can be so tempting. 
We believe that if we don't connect so deeply or fully, we can forestall the pain of loss. We use all the tools at our disposal to help protect ourselves. I want to be clear, I'm really only a partial Luddite. Many of you know I love Facebook, and I am a woman of my generation. I prefer to text whenever possible. I do actually believe there's great value in the various modes of communication that we have embraced. But just because there's value doesn't mean there isn't a shadow side. And this potential to eschew real connection in favor of technological connection light is a definite shadow side to all our advancements. It works because it preys on our fears and our desire to keep our hearts and ourselves safe. But you know, as I know, that keeping our hearts and ourselves safe is an illusion. I've mentioned here before the researcher Brene Brown. Her field of research is vulnerability, shame, and guilt. And those things are, as you might imagine, deeply related to how we connect to others. We begin in connecting with others first by being able to know ourselves. And from there, once we have embraced our own imperfect and flawed beings, we can reach out for connection. As Brown puts it, owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on loving and belonging and joy, the experiences that make us most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. She says we start with learning who we are, embracing that, and when and where we can, sharing that. We start with being who we are. First, we have to see and know ourselves. Embrace our vulnerabilities, even though it's risky. That asks us to love ourselves, which I know flies contrary to the messaging many of us were given, but that's the place to begin Know yourself, be yourself, love yourself, and then risk real connection. So what is a real connection? What is that connection that offers a sense of belonging? It's characterized, according to Turkle and Weist, by authenticity. It isn't filtered or papered over. It's real and honest. It's sharing feelings rather than information. Failure, not just success. Sorrows, not just joys. Doubts and fears, not just confidence and hope. It's sharing the intimate details of a life, not just analysis and critique of ideas. Real connections also transcend our base needs for attention. And here I'm contrasting attention with meaningful interaction. They're not about competition or ego salving. Real connection isn't hurried or demanded of others. It's something that we create and build with time and with care. A real connection is developed over a season of giving, giving ourselves, giving our time and listening and care to others for no other reason than that we're attempting to build connection. Weiss puts it this way, most people believe a connection is something they earn by being good enough when it is really something they develop by being willing enough. Through that sharing and building and creating, connection is, again as Weiss puts it, the experience of oneness. A real connection affords us a deep sense of oneness. I know you've felt it. 
that feeling of closest to another human being that helps remind you of the interconnectedness of all things, the oneness of all that is, that connection that fills you with the deep assurance that you are loved and you are not alone in this life. I often talk here on Sunday mornings about our theological inheritances, love and oneness, love that overcomes all fear and allows us to see each other for who we are, Oneness that reminds us that we can't live without each other, no matter how we might want to pretend that we can. Love and oneness that feed the deepest longings of our hearts and the widest needs of our souls. What stops us from living into these truths every single day? It's fear. Real deep connection with other humans is almost by definition scary. There's doubt and worry as we build. Does the other person feel the same connection? Will I be rejected or harmed? And if this is what I think it is and the connection is real, what will I do with the pain that will come when life changes and the connection must be severed? The fears are real and the pain is real. I'm sure we all know this. I suspect not a single person in this room is unfamiliar with the sting of rejection or the heartache of loss or the grief of death. When we connect deeply, when we love truly, we invite pain. But as Brown says, a deep sense of love and belonging is an irresistible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we are meant to. We break. We fall apart. We numb. We ache. We hurt others. We get sick. The risk of pain, she reminds us, is nowhere near as dangerous as living a life of isolation, disconnected from a sense of belonging. The risks and the pain pale when held alongside the power of love and oneness. We may forget that sometimes, but it's true nonetheless. I was talking with a colleague friend about this morning's topic, and she shared with me a story from her congregation's life. Seven years ago, a woman and her two children walked into my friend's congregation. On Friday, two days earlier, the husband and father in this family had announced he was leaving because he'd met someone else. He walked out. So that Sunday, two days after his leaving, the mom and the children showed up at my friend's congregation devastated, vulnerable, risking sharing the truth of their lives in that moment with a community they did not know. My colleague put it this way, over the course of these seven years, the congregation loved them back to themselves. We comforted them, befriended them, helped them to get grounded. This past fall, my friend told me, the mother got remarried. And again, in my colleague's words, they thanked our congregation in a hundred different ways for loving them back to life. This family risked, made themselves vulnerable, and found that in risking, They could have a new life, a new capacity to trust and to love. They found a reassurance that they weren't alone. That's the fascinating part about all of this, I think. We've all known heartache and heartbreak, and we find our way home to ourselves and our sense of belonging only by being willing to risk again. That's how we recover. It seems almost counterintuitive, but it's by having the courage and the faith to attempt trust, to put ourselves back out there, that we find wholeness again. 
by allowing ourselves to take confidence in our deep belief in the larger oneness and larger love, and then with that confidence, moving into human relationships that are messy and risky, but so very vital. That's the way that we live our fullest lives. To meet our own needs, the needs of others, to live our best lives, we have to overcome our fears about the messiness and the risk. We have to move into deep and real connections that transcend the technologies that have allowed us to play it safe. We have to remind ourselves that the value of real deep connection is worth way more than the pain we will face if it goes awry. We must have the courage to be vulnerable, to be honest and open and depend on others, to count on others to support them, to entwine our lives with theirs. That's the path to wholeness, the path home, the path back to belonging. And it is, I truly believe, in so many different ways, what we practice here with each other. We go all in. We don't hold ourselves apart. We bring our whole selves scarred and imperfect and grasp here at the sense of belonging that is being offered to all of us. It takes courage to reach out, but in turn, that sense of belonging becomes a source of courage. There's so many ways to do that here among these people in this place. And one really great way that I know of is small group ministry. So watch your e-blast because I'm going to tell you all about it this coming week. Small groups are a really good way to be seen and known and to offer that gift to others to practice vulnerability and wholeness and to develop courage. And I hope you'll all consider the possibility of joining a small group. But that is what we are after here. We are after being seen, seeing each other, finding belonging, and having a home. May we all find ways within these walls and beyond them to have the courage to put down our devices that remove us from risk, May we have the confidence to connect deeply and openly with others, intentionally creating and building relationships that are authentic, so that we might feel that deep oneness and be guided by love. So may it be. Please join in the words for extinguishing the chalice. They're in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but may the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the energy of action burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. May you go from this place knowing that you belong, knowing that you are connected, and knowing that you are loved. Go in peace.